Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. I'm one of the hosts here, Charlie Chuck Thompson, and with me, as always, across the Pay Lakes and the interwebs, uh, running on the new gig speed internet. You've always had gig over there at your house, Nate. But uh, it's well, always pretty good. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for always being on the show every single day and being the co-host with me. That's nice. I of appreciate you. you always letting me on the show every day. That's yeah. very nice of you. Yeah, you know, that's what friends um, do. Is, is is it a pay lake that is between us? Is that what it is? It's an old crusty pay lake. Okay. It's a pretty big right. lake, though. I don't know if I don't even know what a pay lake means. Honestly, I'm not country well, enough like, for that. So, like, I have a friend whose family has pay lakes, and they're like these little lakes that they put fish in, and they're like really small, and they just put fish in them, and then people come there and they pay like thirty bucks for the day to come fish. Oh. It's like yeah, if you had it's like if you had a deer farm that was one acre and you had to pay 30 bucks to go there and act like you were hunting be a pay farm be a pay across across the pay farm anyway it does say typically a pay lake lake is a a small pond stocked with catfish how about that that sounds more like a pay lake yeah the bait house normally carries fishing gear so you can come pay and uh pretend to go fishing that's pretty awesome how about that you could call i mean you could call it a pay lake it is man-made and then stocked with fish but people don't, well, you need to get to pay the government for a license to make sure you can fish there. We did pay so, to build the lake. <laughs> that's that, right. That did happen. It could yeah. be. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about <laughs> is liberty, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. I mean, what better thing to talk about than that? And today, I think we've got a pretty big, long economic lesson. We got to go back to the basics for a second here, because there are some things happening during this pandemic that just causes you to go back to the basics. And so that's what we're going to do. we got to go back to the basics. Nate here has read basic economics no less than 20 times. That's about 300 hours of your life, I think. Um, <laughs> right around that much time. Somewhere yeah. around there. Not only that, but we've been following you know, Austrian economics and some Chicago economics, Chicagoan, I guess you could call it, with Thomas Sowell there. Um, but obviously with, with the great... Uh, you know, Mises and Tom Woods and Ron Paul and all the Austrians there uh, at the Mises Institute and other things. And also you've got Thomas Sowell, who came from Chicago, the Chicago one economics. Milton Friedman is also Milton Chicago. Friedman, Chicago. Right. Yeah. So there you have that. And then you have what AOC would uh, what she got her degree in, which is pure Keynesianism. Keynesianism. Yeah. And so we have to talk a little bit about those basics and also. Uh, we got to talk about the stimulus package that passed last night from the Senate. Uh, the Senate passed it late into the evening. Uh, I believe I texted you at what midnight last night or eleven thirty, something like you that. Said, you said passed. I said, <laughs> did I say Senate <laughs> passed or just? I think I said you passed. You just said passed is all you said. <laughs> you were yeah. like, man, I just took my Ambien. I have no idea what he means by that. <laughs> oh yeah, I normally I take my Ambien and I only allow myself to tweet for two hours after that. So. Uh, you know, got to have a cutoff point sometime. Yeah. But what is uh you know, we can, we can have some pretty strong emotional responses during a pandemic like this. We talked about that a little bit yesterday, by the way, go take the 215 episode challenge. If you will, we've got a few people. I just saw a review yesterday from a guy who has taken the challenge. He's about 150 episodes in, he said, and he's loving every second of it. So appreciate that. If you want to join him on that endeavor, once you get all of the episodes done, let us know. We'll print you off a certificate here. I've got this printer in my <laughs> office that doesn't work, but we'll get it working. 
just for that yeah. certificate for you. Maybe we'll send you a merch item. I don't know. That's that'd be cool. Send him a merch item. That'd be cool. Like a the Bernie Lies mug or something like that. So, uh, but to do that, you guys are going to have to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just hit that subscribe button or the follow button on Spotify. And if you do that, our very next episode will come directly to your favorite podcast listening device on your favorite podcast app, be it Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean. I don't know what all of them are. iTunes. <laughs> there's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. It doesn't matter. Hit that subscribe button. And we're talking to the 8% of you that aren't subscribed. 92% of you are. Thank you very much for that. You guys are the true Liberty winners. Uh, you're going to go far in life. We just know it. And the rest of you have some catching up to do. So going to be subscribe. complete failures. Go to subscribe to that podcast. So Nate, kick us off here. Um, maybe you want to give us a little bit of background on what life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning actually means. And then how do we apply? Why does economics play such a big role in all of that? Well, uh, you know, as libertarians, we obviously believe that you have a right to life. So we want to protect that. Now, when you have the right to life, it does not mean that you have the right to force other people to make sure that you have that life. You have the right to not have that life taken from you. Uh, so that's what the right to life is. Uh, your your liberty, I always have a, I don't, I have my own definition for that. But in my opinion, liberty is you, and it's everything that encompasses you, and it's your right to act on who you are, what you want to do in life. And the rule on that is that you can't impede other people's right to do that also, and they can't impede yours. So there's your right to life and liberty. So yes, you have the liberty, but there are limitations because you cannot take liberties away from other people. And then meaning, very important. You know, they say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is something that happens, in my opinion, as long as you are pursuing meaning and you are working very very strongly towards that goal and dedicating your life towards that goal. So in my opinion, that is how you, yes, you pursue happiness, but happiness is a rough goal because you can get happiness out of things that aren't truly meaningful. Like you could get really drunk right now and feel really happy. So that's not necessarily happiness should not be your pursuit. That's a disease. I messed up, I messed up for a while and I, I thought that if I just felt happy, then that would mean that I was happy. And the problem is if you're only doing things that make you feel happy, then the times that you're not doing those things, well, you're just not happy. So anyway, we pursue meaning. We pursue uh, why you're here, why you're here on this earth, what are, what are your life goals, your life dreams, all of your ambitions, how you can actually make life better for yourself and your family and for other people. To me, that's the meaning part of it. And if you pursue that, you can find happiness. Well, now, and, we talk and part of pursuing that meaning is adopting as much uh, – you know, as Jordan Peterson would say, as much responsibility as you possibly can, as much as you can bear, because what good is liberty without responsibility? Like what is good? What is good about the right to bear arms if you aren't responsible with bearing arms and you go murder a bunch of people? Well, you just violated a bunch of rights. You didn't take that liberty seriously enough to have that responsibility for that liberty. So you have to be able to adopt as much responsibility as you can and aim at a very high goal, you know, like. This sounds crazy, but I'm just say it on the podcast. I think we might have said it before, but Nate and I, the goal is to become the first trillionaires to ever exist. Now, a lot of people would be like, that's just an insane goal. I mean, we're just, we have a $2 trillion stimulus package. We're $23 trillion in debts. Like the trillion dollar number doesn't seem that high. It might be for an individual, but you have to have that high goal. And that's, that is a, it's a crazy goal. It's not like we, we want to have, you know, a billion dollar mansion or anything like that. No, we want to be as rich as we possibly can be 
That way we can affect the most amount of change for the most amount of people. What can you do without capital? What can you produce without capital? Which actually leads us into our next conversation that we're going to talk about here. But, but in, in pursuing that meaning, you have to adopt the most amount of responsibility that you can muster and take responsibility for the liberty that you are afforded uh, to be able to provide the most amount of good to the most amount of people. And you have to do your part. And as Jordan Peterson would say, or the, the, the Navy uh, guy who gave that speech, that Navy SEAL who said, start by making your day. It's the little, little wins that bed. you can get, uh, clean your room, start by making your own bed. Look at things in your life that you can clean up. And that's how you pursue meaning. All those little things add up to the ultimate goal. And what's the ultimate goal of a meaningful life? Well, everything you do matters. Everything you do has, uh, it, it has a consequence on the structure of reality itself. You know, like we, we are full of the, f- the future potential and what you do with that matters for everyone else around you. And it only takes what, 20 people to reach the whole world. I believe if you do that factorial 20 factorial, um, I haven't done the numbers yet, but let me do I think that. It's 20 um, people. Yes, it does look like 20 as the, as the number. So <laughs> I did the, a check on that real fast, but yeah. So, you know, you asked about economics. Why do we care so much about economics when it comes to this? Well, um, bad economics kills people, and uh, that's just a plain fact of life. And not it, just it, a little bit of people. No, like a lot of people. A lot and of it's them. like it's an unseen thing. You've got the problem with the unseen because you don't really see exactly the, the lives that aren't saved because your economy was worse than what it should have been. Maybe your medical system isn't as good as what it should have been. Maybe living conditions aren't as good as what they should be. You can see the starving people, but what you don't see are all of the other external factors that can cause life to be a lot worse and cause lives to be ended. So we pay attention to those, even though they're really hard to see because we we know that they exist. So we pay a lot of attention to economics. We put a lot of our, a lot of our effort, like Charlie said, reading a book like Basic Economics or uh, Economics in One Lesson or Economic Facts and Fallacies or uh, what's the other one? Um, applied economics or so whatever I'm reading right now from Thomas Sowell. Um, you know, the, all of these things are important and they Free help to you. Free by Milton Friedman. They That's help you understand book. the world around you. Uh, they help you understand how you can help make the world a better place and how you can recognize when other people are making the world a worse place. That's, that's important to do also. So uh, coming around to the stimulus thing, we talk about economics I've always talked about the chicken or the egg scenario. Which one came first? When it comes to an economy, it's an easy thing to trace back. You cannot consume something that has not first been produced. It is impossible. Someone must take the risk, the time, the effort, all of that to produce something or no one can consume anything. And if there is nothing that has been produced, then the consumers having an unlimited supply of money is worthless. And that is how you get worthless money, by the way. That's that's one of the good ways that you get completely worthless money. There's nothing for you to buy with it. It, it. It just doesn't matter if you're not stimulating the productive side of that economy. So we have to ask the question, which one comes first? And we've been having this interesting back and forth on Twitter with Nicholas Sarwark, Uh, who is the chair of the Libertarian Party. We've uh, been going back and forth with him a little bit because we had this this economic stimulus, this largest 
sum of stimulus money, this largest government program that has looks like ever it's going to be about two point two history. trillion dollars. Yeah, it's it's the it is the biggest thing in the history of all of the world as as far as that goes, as far as an economic plan is considered. And the money is going to be spent, by the way, like that. That's not two trillion dollars over ten years. That's two trillion dollars over a couple months. That's that's what's going to end up being a couple spent. weeks, really. Yeah, a couple <laughs> weeks. So, and they're probably going to do another one, depending on how long this this happens. So, you're going to be looking at your deficit, which is going to be uh, probably around the three trillion dollar mark now for this year. And of course, you know, I don't know if we care about deficits anymore. Some people do, some people don't. We do. We care about that. So we were having this back and forth with Nicholas Sarwark and and some people, some prominent people have been making the case that in this stimulus package, we have, say, $2.2 trillion and we've got money that's going out to the people in the form of actual checks going to the people. And then there is money that is being that is being set aside for businesses to take as loans. Now, the very first thing to realize right there is that is not money that's being directly sent to all the businesses right now. It's money that's being allocated for businesses to take out those lines of credit or those loans from this government plan that's going to exist. And it, it'll, it'll be spent. I'm not saying it's not going to be spent, but you have to realize that. So the argument that's been put forward by people like Nick Sarwark and and yes, even Thomas Massey tweeted something like this earlier, making the point that this $2 trillion, if you were to divide it out between all of the people in the United States, that it would actually come out to something like $6,000 a piece is what you would be coming out to. And I haven't actually done the math on that, but seeing Thomas Massey and Sarwark and a couple other people post this $6,000 figure, we'll go with the $6,000. So the idea that they're putting forward or the the argument I guess they're trying to make is that that $2 trillion would be better spent by taking the entire $2 trillion and giving it out to all of the consumers. That's the, that's the argument that they're making. And I have an issue with this. Now, the, the number one thing to understand with this is that I don't like the bailout. I don't want us to have a bailout. I understand we might need one, but when you're talking about we have to spend money on something, you have to first ask yourself, do we have the money? And when the answer is no, then you have to find another way of doing things. And you ask the question, does the U.S. government have this money to give to people? No, it doesn't. It doesn't have the money. It doesn't exist. We're in $23 trillion in debt. We've already got a trillion dollar deficit this year. The money that they're giving out does not exist. It would be the same thing as if they were to just give everyone a credit card that they, that they would owe on. It, it would be the same thing. You, you don't have the money, and the money that's getting paid out is just going to be taken back from you on the back end with interest and more things over time. So we'll, we'll get into to that a little bit. But even though I'm against the bailout overall, if you were going to force me into spending $2 trillion on trying to fix the economy right now, whatever, whatever it is, if you're, if you're going to force me into doing that, then I would not be able to make the argument that the absolute best thing would be for all of that money to be divided out to all of the people so they can spend it. And the reason is what we talked about earlier. 
chicken or the egg scenario, which one has to happen first in an economy? We make these arguments all the time. It's crazy. You have these same arguments being made from people who are were totally fine with lowering corporate taxes, lowering regulations, doing things like that. They want to lower the corporate taxes before they even want to work on lowering the taxes that the people pay. They're okay with lowering corporate taxes. You know, they're okay with the the Trump tax cut. I mean, you got a guy like Massey being okay with the Trump tax cut. You're lowering corporate taxes by a massive percentage. Uh, people got their tax rate lowered by a much, much, much lower percentage. And the reason is that you've uh, pointed out the fact that to stimulate an economy, you have to first take care of the productive side of the economy because consumers with a bunch of money to spend nowhere because everyone is gone and out of business uh, is, is not going to work. It, you have to figure out which one comes first. And I know this line, it easily gets blurred because you're like, well, you're going to give them all the money and then they're going to spend it in these businesses and therefore the businesses won't go bankrupt. Now, that's there's certainly that side of the argument to be made. But you have to ask which one is going to be the most efficient way to do it. Do you stimulate the businesses so the businesses can hire people, so the people can make money that has real value behind it, so then they can spend money on the things that they need? Or do you stimulate people through straight up checks? They spend the money uh, frivolously on things that they may or may not need. Some of the businesses, the consumer products stay alive and some of the important things that people still don't want to spend money on are still hurting. And you, you've just got to ask yourself, which is the better thing to set up a society for a more long term? Do you stimulate the people who are going to create jobs so people can then be productive and create their own value? Or do you just take the value and give it to the people without them producing anything of value and then have them go spend it in that economy? Which, which one is better? Now, and in an emotional time like this, when we have this uh, pandemic crisis that's happening, well, you could say you could you could feel emotional about it to start off when you say, well, people, uh, they don't have the jobs. So they and businesses are forced to close. So therefore, they can't work. Well, by the way, if businesses are forced to close, then they can't accept the consumer's money anyway. So that's the number one thing. You're, it, all the consumer money you're giving out is basically going to go to Amazon and Uber Eats and some, <laughs> some places like that. Like they're going to be taking a bunch of it. So you, you'd have to ask yourself, what is the best thing to do for this economy? And we have this conversation all the time. Keynesianism, consumption, economics, stimulus checks, helicopter money. We argue all the time that that is not the way to stimulate an economy. It isn't the way to stimulate an economy. You do not stimulate an economy by taxing a business 80% and then giving all that money to the consumers. Like That is not how you stimulate an economy. You let all of the productive side explode in growth and then those people are able to go work and do productive things and provide value to other people because those jobs exist. And then you have an economy that is actually set on a growth trend that would be upwards. That this is just solid, burning cash. That has a know? solid foundation. You know, exactly. <clears throat> Fee put out a great little short video about, God, it was like, what, eight years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, somewhere around there. And what the video was, it went back to the basics of farming. 
and it literally said it, it, it gave you the scenario and this is why production uh, is what drives an economy not consumption is the fact that when it goes down to a farmer you have to think which came first was it the excess of corn that the farmer could sell or was it him storing up extra corn making a sacrifice so that he could sustain his family for longer use his extra time that he has that he doesn't have to be in the field planting to de to design and develop a plow that way he can produce more corn more than his family needs so he's producing first more than his family needs and now he has excess that he can sell and this is what happens all over the place like apple designed and came out with an iphone before anyone knew they ever needed an iphone no one had ever had a touchscreen phone before ever in their entire lives no one even knew that 60% of America would want touchscreen phones at the time when it first came out. It was like they took over like 80% of the phone market, didn't they? Like at uh, first, yeah. Yeah, at first. And now I think they're like 50 probably 50% somewhere around there, 50-60%. Samsung came in, Apple yeah. suit Samsung by uh, with for a bunch of money, all, all kinds of stuff. That's another interesting uh IP debate, patent debate you can have sometime. Right. And so if you take it all the way back to the basics and what you learn in the Austrian school and the Chicago school of economics is that production has to come first. There is no way that you can have a bunch of people with money waiting for iPhones to come out and then give Apple the idea. Hey, we have all these, we have all this money. We want you to develop something for us. That doesn't work like that. Well, it's because Apple, Apple had wouldn't to, be able to produce that without a store of capital or without a line of credit from a bank or without a loan that they could take out or an investment uh, that the owner could make or something like that to produce it. You know, you can you can boil this down even further than a farmer and a plow. By the way, if you take there's two human beings on the planet, um, and there's nothing. There's nothing whatsoever. Just boil it all the way down to the basic principle. There's two human beings and there's nothing. If you hand them both $100 bills, what, what did you change? What, what did you change? What, anything at all? What, what has to actually happen for those people's lives to get better? One of them has to decide that they are going to work and do something and produce that they could then get that hundred dollars for. But how would they create some type of new product which has materials, which are scarce resources that could be allocated in all kinds of different ways. They've got all kinds of different uses. So how are you going to get your hands on those materials if you as the business owner, the investor, the entrepreneur, do not have some type of store of wealth or a line of credit or something that you can go and produce that with? The buyers for a product are not lining up outside of my door and asking me to create a product right now. That's not what happens. There are there is not a line of people asking me Were you looking outside for the line? my door. <laughs> there's no line. I'm looking to see and there's it's not forming yet. But there's no one and outside we even have my a door. Business. It's not like we don't we, have a business. We got a business that there's no line. I know. I know. And there's no one out there that's sitting there offering to hand me a $100 bill in exchange for me to go and create a business and go do this. I have to first go and do that side of it. I have to take out the debt. I have to get the credit. I've got to make the investment and the time to do that and then be able to solicit those people to exchange the value of my product for the value of the money that they have. And hey, maybe they can come 
work for me while I'm putting in this time in this investment and they can use some of the money that I pay them to buy some of the product. Like if you're buying it, if you're taking this all the way down to the very, very basic level, anytime you ask which one has to happen first, you cannot consume something that has not been produced. We, we haven't actually read the tweet yet. Yeah, I was, I was getting ready so, to read it for yeah. everyone. So Nate, you tweeted this morning uh, at Nicholas Sarwak. Like, well, read what he's what he said. Um, my response is in the show notes. Uh, it, that was his original tweet. Okay, his so his original tweet. Read the original tweet. He said, "American population three hundred thirty million. Stimulus bill two trillion. Dividing the cost by every person in America is six thousand. The government could have given every person over six thousand dollars, but instead will give twelve hundred dollars to each adult under a certain income because bailouts." So, um, so do you want, you want to do my response? Yeah. So you responded to him and said, we're no fan of the bailout, but baiting people with the idea that they would have somehow been better off if we had more money for consumption than production is sad coming from the LP. Now, Nick decided to quote that tweet and say, is anything consumed that was not first produced? And the answer is no, no, you're right. That's, that's what we're saying. That's that's, he, that's he, not what you he, said. He made my point for yes. me in his response to the tweet. And and, and then uh, somebody had had tweeted that or somebody had responded to this tweet. And I'm trying to pull it up right now. Of course, it's not working. Um, somebody had responded to this tweet and said. Wow, of course, I'm not gonna be able to find it. Oh, she said this seems backwards. If there's no consumer waiting to buy, what is the point of production? But if there are consumers waiting to buy, the producer will get paid by the customer, by the consumer. Now, Nicholas Sarwak like that tweet. And that tweet that she said is the Keynesian argument for consumption economics. If there's no consumer waiting to buy, what is the point of production? The point of the production is you are trying to get consumers after you produce. And the... You, and and the point is, how would let's say that there are consumers waiting to buy. Are they all going to give me their money and then I'm going to to give them something a month afterwards? Like, is that how consumption is that what you guys normally do? You line up for a product that you think should exist and then you put like that's what happens on Kickstarter. That's what people do. But that's very much outside the norm. That's a consumption driven production. That's what Kickstarter is, because you're saying I will produce this if you guys give me the money. But that is not how the economy normally works. It doesn't matter if there's a bunch of people sitting there with money. I need to be able to obtain the scarce resources and the materials and the time and labor costs to be able to produce this even if I think there's people lined up to buy it from me afterwards. What am I going to do? I'm going to go get a loan from a bank. That's what I'm going to do. And so what did the government make available in this stimulus package? They made money available for business loans that would not have otherwise been available because of what's happening in the market right now. And so that's exactly what they're doing. They're giving the consumers some money and then they're saying, hey, producers, since, yes, the consumers have some money, but you've got to front a lot of costs to be able to produce something that they then want to buy and you can't get your hands on any money right now. Well, we're going to make money available for you to take out as a loan. And this he's making my case for me. And this is the annoying part, is that even libertarians, even libertarians, especially the chair of the LP, Nick Sarwark has been 
screwing up the LP ever since he first came into it. He's been one of the worst parts of the Libertarian Party. Hopefully he still wants to come on the show after this. <laughs> He's been one of the worst parts of the Liber Libertarian Party. You know, good job, dude. You've definitely just totally nailed it with the Libertarian Party. I know you haven't been there for 60 years, but they have. And they've gone absolutely nowhere so far. The only reason they got 3% of the vote in the last election was because they had a choice between the two people that were the other people on the ballot. Okay, that, that's why you got 3% of the vote at that time. Not because all of a sudden you had done such a great job messaging for the LP that the, a bunch of people became libertarians all of a sudden. They were protest votes. Don't lie to yourself, okay? And don't lie to the people who are in the Libertarian Party. You don't need to do that. Be truthful. They were protest votes. So, first and how off, are these and how are these Keynesians coming in to the LP as as if this is somehow libertarian ideology? Like like the platform somehow is somehow is switched over to well, we believe in Keynesian economics now. Now, what Nate? What would you say to people? I saw a tweet on there that's like, is there a difference between production and growth? What would you say to people like, well, we already have an established economy with established production. What we need now are consumers to be buying the established production. Does the principle change in an economy? The consumers haven't stopped buying because all the businesses are gone. They stopped buying because the businesses are closed right. and they're not <laughs> able to sell things. Okay, that's why people stop buying and they don't have any money because they've been forced to not be able to go to work. Not because we don't have a productive economy where you can get a job. A bunch of consumers having money to purchase things from businesses that are not allowed to open their doors right now is not going to help anyone. And thinking that it will – and this is, I guess, where I got off on a tangent last time, but this is the problem. And I said this on a podcast. I mean this was on like episode 10. I said this. <laughs> but it seems like the only hey, thing – somebody fact check this, by the way. Go back. Yeah. <laughs> take the 205 episode challenge now. So you make sure you go all the way back to 10, find that spot and send it to us. Thanks. The only thing that people can agree on, left, right, libertarian, is a deep-seated hatred for corporations. That's what they can agree on. Libertarian party, people on the right, people on the left, very, very small percentage will actually look at things objectively and try to remove emotion. Now, when I see a corporation do a terrible thing, I feel bad. There are bad people that run corporations, of course. But there is a deep-seated hatred for the rich that exists all the way through the Libertarian Party, and I've seen this for a while. This was not done out of any principled economic stance whatsoever because Nick Sarwark would never argue for helicopter money to be given out to anyone. And in fact, if we were talking about lowering taxes and cutting business regulations and making it easier, he would be making arguments that we need to stimulate the productive side of the economy. But since there is money that is being given out, and some of it's going to be given out to corporations and less of it's going to be given out to people, the emotional side of his brain is only looking at it in that way. It is his hatred for corporations I need to tweet about this right now. Like the, that's the that's the list of priorities that goes through on his head. Hatred for corporations, hatred for government, hatred for bailouts. I need to say something about it. And it doesn't matter if I completely disregard every economic argument I've ever made. If I have to sit here and and read uh, one of John Maynard Keynes's books a million times and convince myself that it's all true as long as it fits inside of my idea that I hate corporations and that I hate bailouts, that I'm going to make this argument right now. 
And it's not a principled argument. And like I said to start this, I don't want the bailout. The money doesn't exist. But if you are going to spend the $2 trillion. Like if you don't have a choice, we don't have a choice. There, They're going there's to spend no it. choice. Gun to my head, literally. Gun to my head, take my tax money and give it out in the form of trying to stimulate an economy. I want them to stimulate the productive side first. And then the other side of this that people are completely forgetting is that the money that's being given out to corporations is in the form of non-forgivable loans that must be paid back. Okay, the money that's being given to the people is just money that's being given to the people, and yeah, they'll tax it as income later. The money that goes to any corporation is a non-forgivable loan. The money in the bailouts that happened in 2008, the $800 billion, was all paid back. It was all paid back by those corporations, okay? It's non-forgivable, no-default loans that they're giving out. I didn't like those bailouts either, but you can't look at this and say that it would be better to give the two trillion out that we don't have and put it there. Or if you're thinking to say you're a business person that's running the government, something like that, and you get to put a people uh, gun the people's head to run your business. Uh, if you're thinking of a way to actually stimulate the economy, well, uh, giving out a trillion or however much it is in the form of uh, non-forgivable loans, no default loans that is going to be forced to come back into your bank account, which is negative $3 trillion for the year, well, that's going to be a better thing. So that this is purely out of emotions, hatred for business. It does not make any sense as far as economics goes whatsoever. And it's very disappointing coming from the chair of the LP, although right on par with almost every single other thing that he does. So <laughs> that's all I got. It's true. And it's infuri yep. it's infuriating for him to quote the you know to respond back and say, you know, is there any consumption without production? And the answer to that is no. And he said, like, "Is anything consumed that was not first produced?" Dude, you just literally made my argument for me right there. Cannot that was not first produced. First produced. The word produced is in the tweet, and the word first is right before produced, right right there. Okay, so first produced, which one do you have to prioritize first if you're going to dole out stolen money? That's all <laughs> that's, we have. And there's no choice on whether or not. No choice. Yeah. All right. So hopefully uh, hopefully we can still get him on the show. I mean, you know, people <laughs> have disagreements. It's not like we hate yeah. Nick the guy. I think I Nick's don't know. probably a I'm fine not, guy. He's yeah. a smart guy. He's a former prosecutor, I believe. It's not like he's a bad person, um, but this idea – that consumption drives an economy is a, the wrong idea. That's not how economics works at all. And, and so, it sets out this confusing message coming from the Libertarian Party. Like, what's what's the message here? Do you like helicopter money or not? Do you want to stimulate production, the productive economy, or do you want to just print checks and give them out to the people or not? Where does the LP stand on this? They stand on the side of hating corporations and hating bailouts. So they'll make whatever incoherent economic argument that they can just so they can be against corporations getting the money. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm very not upset about this, and I'm extremely happy today. So, <laughs> as you can tell. Well, you know, it's always it's just always good to go back to the basics and understand. Uh, Marie said that's what we learned in economics in high school: consumption drives the economy. That's what the public education produces. <laughs> it's so true. It, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone thinks that you've you've got to have the money uh, th that. People have to have the money in their hands 
And that's just not what you, you want to set up a system where people can be productive and they can produce value well, let's for other it, people, actual value. That's what you want to set up. Well, let's take it a step further even. Well, it's like Maurice was ahead of the game on there. He said he was, he so was in high school. He was taught that. Yeah. Yeah. You were ahead of the game. That is confusing because it doesn't make any sense because let's take it. Let's take it further. Why stop at two trillion? Let's yeah. make it a hundred trillion stimulus package. We'll be the richest country on earth by just stimulating ourselves a hundred trillion dollars overnight. <laughs> like why, yeah. why stop at two? Let's if, make if the economy gets better, the more money you print and give out to the people. Yeah. Why stop? That's yeah. a great point. The, the UBI should be a million dollars a year for all of the Americans. Like that's the least amount of money you're going to make is a million dollars. You'll tax the bill, the businesses 95% and you'll give out a UBI of a million dollars a year. Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Problem solved. Then we're going to yep. be the super duper richest. We'll be the tippy top country in the <laughs> entire world. So it like, it doesn't make any sense when you follow that principle. That's why it doesn't matter that our economy is established. It doesn't matter that there already is some production that can be bought. That's people that are losing their jobs. Can't buy. That doesn't matter. The principle has to remain. Because what you have to do with this idea and the principles, you have to abstract it out and go to the extremes, okay? And say, okay, if I dump a bunch of money into production, will consumption follow suit? Yes. If I dump a, money a bunch of money into consumption, will production follow suit? No. There's nothing to consume. It doesn't matter. You're just the whole idea that you said two people on an island with nothing else, they both get a $100 bill. You've done nothing. They're not richer. They can't buy anything doesn't exist. There's been no production. Production has to come first. All right. Moving on to uh, our old favorite, Mr. BS, who's uh, Vermont. <laughs> he's from a neat town in Vermont, uh, or he's from a neat town called Vermont. Senator Bernie <laughs> Sanders. So this is coming from Apple News. Uh, Senator Sanders rips the GOP senators for voting for tax cuts, but objecting to increased unemployment benefits. Of course he would, BS. All right. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders on Wednesday lambasted Republican senators who had objected to provisions in the $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus package that they said would incentivize unemployment, accusing them of fixating on minor perks for workers amid a crisis. What happened is Senator Lindsey Graham, one of my favorites, and some other Republicans, they are just terribly upset that low-income workers might receive a bit more money than they otherwise would have earned. Sanders told Anderson Cooper. It's pretty cool to see Bernie Sanders and Nicholas Sarwar be on the same page on this one. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Sanders' comments came after the package hit a last-minute snag Wednesday afternoon when Graham, a South Carolina Republican, and GOP Senators Tim Scott of South Carolina, Rick Scott of Florida, and Ben Sasse of Nebraska argued that it would incentivize, incentivize unemployment and could trigger worker shortages and supply disruptions by providing more money to some jobless workers than they would be, then, they, then they would make working. Now, I saw the chart on this. It was very interesting. As the bill stands now, if it gets passed, um, unemployment unemployed people will, will receive an extra $600. So the cutoff point here uh, with that extra $600, now imagine that's an extra about $2,400 a month. So if you were making $4,000 a month and you lost your job, well, now you're going to get state benefits for about half of that. So that's about $2,000. And then you're going to get an extra $2,400 a month. So now you're sitting at $4,400. Well, at your job, you were only making four. So why in the world would you ever go back to your job? On the chart, it doesn't make sense 
for going back to work unless you made $5,000 or more. That's the cutoff. If you were making 3000 a month, well, now you just got a massive boost. If you were making $4,000 a month, you're still making more money. And so this incentive to go back to work is absolutely true. I mean, it's a very well raised point from the GOP. Well, this is the argument against the UBI. This is the general argument against paying people and welfare, all of it in general. At some point, people are going to make a decision. Would I rather work or would I rather not work and make the same or more money? And it's it's pretty it's plainly obvious and common sense. I mean, if somebody could pay me to play golf every single day, I might take that. <laughs> you if, know? Well, just ask yourself this. If uh, let's say you're making five thousand dollars a month, but someone would pay you four thousand dollars a month and then you could just do whatever you wanted and not work. Well, which one of those would you choose? It's, yeah. It's, it's clear which one you would choose for most people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I could ever do that. Like I don't have a retirement plan because I don't believe I'm going to retire. Like I, yeah. I don't I ever don't, see myself not doing something productive. I mean, to me, I, retirement is for people who hate what they do for a living. Yeah. Now I do go on, you know, lazy spouts where I'm like, ah, I don't feel like doing much for this, for this, these couple days or, you know, maybe a couple weeks or something like that. But then I get so, you know, depressed. I'm like, I've got to do something. Anyway, continuing on here, uh, quote, here we are in the midst of the worst economic downturn, perhaps since the Great Depression. Tens of millions of people are worried to death about how they're going to feed their families, pay their rent, prevent a foreclosure, Sanders added. And these guys are just staying up nights worrying about low income workers getting a few bucks more, <laughs> a few bucks more. You're like, you're doubling some of these people's salaries. That's not really a few bucks. Yeah. Sanders also accused the Republicans of backing corporations over workers, highlighting their support for President Donald Trump's 2017 tax plan. You have all kinds of people here who voted, including Senator Graham and others. They voted for a trillion dollars in tax breaks for the 1% and large corporations. And now they're really worried that low-income worker might receive extended unemployment plus $600 a week. Look, everyone wants to pick on the 1%. Need I remind you, 99 99.4, 99.6 of corporations in the United States are small businesses. The tax cut was for them. Who cares about the 0.4% of businesses that also got a tax break? I don't care about them. I care about the, where the majority of Americans work, which are small businesses. That's where the majority of Americans work. They all receive that tax cut. Now, look, it also, in the stimulus package, I forgot to mention, they are deferring payroll tax payments for two years. So you would owe half of your payroll pa taxes next year and the other half uh, in 22, which is kind of cool. 2022. Uh, so anyway, go on on here. He goes, oh, my goodness. He added sarcastically. How terrible is that? <laughs> Sanders threatened earlier Wednesday to hold his support for the bill unless there was more oversight over uh, over five hundred billion dollars for corporate help. But he told Cooper that. If the four Republican senators drop their complaints, I am certainly not going to persist in what I want on the bill. I just wanted to make it clear that I will not sit back, nor should anybody sit back and allow these guys to attack the needs of low income workers, especially at a time when in this particular bill, there are $500 billion available to the president for all kinds of corporate welfare. And is that chicanery? Chicanery, he added. Uh, I don't, they, I don't know. They don't object to that. They worry about people getting a few bucks more. 
The four Republican <laughs> senators, however, saw the provisions as a key sticking point, with Graham saying at a news conference earlier in the day that this bill pays you more not to work than if you are working, which is true. I just went over the chart. Unless you're making over $5,000 a month, then it's not for low-income workers. <laughs> like, unless- well, And you got to ask what, you know, what's the point? We talked about this yesterday with the stimulus. Like, what's the point of this coronavirus stimulus? It's to help people who are not able to work right now while everyone is on lockdown. Like, that's the point of this stimulus. Why would you be making it to where people are making more money than they were making when they were working inside of the stimulus that is supposed to aid people who are just not able to work right now? Like, why, why would you do that unless you're trying to do something else inside of that that you've always been trying to do? Right. You know, that that's what you what you'd have to ask. Lindsey Graham actually said something pretty funny right here. He said, if this is not a drafting error, then it's the worst idea I've seen in a long time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, so it's you. I don't know. It, it, this whole thing is it's really not as much help. I mean, only 500 billion available to the corporations. That means 700 billion is going elsewhere, um, not to corporations, not even. Yeah. They're not even giving corporations money anyway. It's not like they're giving them checks. It's not like, you know, Apple gets a billion and Amazon gets two billion. Like, it's not like they're handing them out like that. You have to be willing to take out the loan for it. So anyway. Yeah, that's that's the thing that no one. I mean, I've heard a couple people mention it so far. I've heard a, a couple people mention it so far is the is the fact that these aren't just checks that are just being sent out to everyone in the way that they're being sent out to all of the people in the public. Uh, it's, it's, it's very different. They, they have to, uh, basically this is going to be a, a line of credit. This is an account that they can get business loans from and they are non-forgivable loans. That is not, I, I don't understand. Listen, I don't like corporate welfare. I don't like the bailout. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't know how many times uh, that I can say that. But there's a difference between welfare, where you just give people money that has been taken from other people, and a loan, where you give people money and they must pay you back. Like th- those are those are two very different things. I don't. I'm. You would think that that would be partially easy to understand, but it's uh, it's not. It's They're also not. bailing out your cities and states, by the way, with this 500 billion. So. The Treasury Department would divvy up a $500 billion pot of loans to struggling industries like airlines and even cities and states. So your cities and states can take out loans here from the Fed. Um, It says rules, uh, why it matters. This is coming from Politico. Rules added to the bill will order an inspector general and an accountability committee. Of course. Good. At least they'll be accountable. Yeah. To oversee how the money is spent rather than giving Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin broad power to cut the loan checks. Um so, uh, for you, by the way, to get some of your stolen money back, which I think it is good. I'm always going to take some of my stolen money back when the government offers it to me. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, working with my CPA right now about to file everything. I'm going to owe way more than the potential money I'm going to get back, which I might not get any. So, um, all U S residents with adjusted gross income up to $75,000, uh, and $150,000 for married couples, they're going to get $1,200. Uh, and then you're going to be eligible for $500 per child. So if you make less than $150,000 and you have 10 kids, you're going to get 
24 and 5, you're going to get about 75, uh, yeah, 7,500 bucks. Um, the payments would start phasing out for earners above these income thresholds and tops out at $99,000. If you're single, um, $146,500 if you're head of household with one child. So that's the top out point. So what you get there, I don't know. If you make $98,000, maybe you get 100 bucks. Who knows? They're not saying exactly what it is. But if you make less than $99,000 as a single person, you're going to get some money. If you fall below the $75,000, you are going to get $1,200 as long as you filed. Make sure you file um, <laughs> your 2019 before this thing passes because they're going to go off of either your 2019 income. If you haven't filed that yet, they'll go off your 2018 income, what you filed in 2019. Um, hospitals are getting a hundred billion, uh, which is, which is good. That's what they argued for. That's what they wanted. They're going to buy a bunch of stuff for that, especially the rural, the rural hospitals. I always have trouble saying that word rural. rural? Yeah. It's a weird word. Airlines, that airlines getting 58 billion, which is nice. If you bought some stock in airlines, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I like is the retaining payroll. So businesses would get a tax credit for keeping idled workers on their payrolls during the coronavirus pandemic, so long as the business meets certain criteria. They would get a refund for half of what they spend on wages up to $5,000 per worker. So that's pretty good. State and local governments, they're getting another $150 billion on top of that. The Pentagon, of course, the Department of Defense, their raise wasn't enough, so they're getting $10.5 billion. Of course. Uh, insurance getting screwed. Oil's getting screwed. Um, the... Uh, the cruise industry, nothing. They're going to have to get loans. They don't get an actual bailout. They have to get loans as well. Um, telemedicine got a $200 million investment. So you could see your doctors over uh, over the interwebs across the pay lake, like me and Nate record this podcast right now where we're in self-quarantines. <laughs> um, and so uh, the the no cash for the oil stash, Trump wanted $3 billion to help uh, struggling oil, and they did not put any of that in there. So... You know, the oil industry is not getting any bailout. So AOC must that's, be happy about that. That's why we bought a couple uh, we bought a couple uh, oil stocks today. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. They're down like like literally a lot of the oil stocks down like 90 percent in the last two or three weeks. So uh, I'll take a risk on that. I'll take a risk on a rebound as far yeah, as that goes. I will, too. So, I just did. Um, so, you know, we don't like the bailout. I don't like corporate welfare. Uh, it seems as though some of these people are actually just getting straight up cash investments. Um, so, so that's happening too, but it's, you know, it's very important to keep as many emotions at bay, Nick, uh, that you, <laughs> that you possibly can when we're, when you're talking about this, uh, because it, it's not immediately better. I think the, the best point uh, was what you said, which is if it's just automatically better to take the two trillion and give it out to people, then why not 10? Why not 15? Why not 20? If that's what's going to stimulate the economy, why not do that? So the, why did you decide that two trillion is okay? So it's a, that's just, I don't know. That's the case. We're dealing with this on all sides. Now we're dealing with it on three fronts, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. We got to start our own political party, man. <laughs> what are we going to call it? do? Uh, I don't know what the, I feel like all the good names are, are taken. Who has any ideas for political party names? We're going to look into that. We'll see if we can come up with. So well, I have this other story I pulled off of Apple. Well, before news. you get there though, I wanted to get to some stock market news. So, 
to get you guys in. This is uh, sponsored by the Liberty Trading Academy segment here. I want to tell you guys about the markets. They are up and down all over the place. A lot of volatility, all the stimulus package, the markets are coming back up. Nate gave you guys that bounce point off of 18.5 from the Dow Jones. It is still rocking up. We got the S&P up almost 5% today. Um, and so there's a lot of movement going on in the market. Some people have lost 35%. They're starting to get some of that back. But if you want to understand what is going on in the markets, if you want to know how to read a stock market chart, like what is a candle chart? What is a wick? What are moving averages? What is price action? If you have all these questions and you see these advertisements all the time, you know, you got TD Ameritrade and all these people out there trying to, you know, tell you to give them, give them their money or give them your money and they'll do it for you. Well, you should understand, at least have an understanding of what they're doing with your money. And so you can do that by going to mastermytrades.com and we will teach you everything from basic trading terminology, basic candle charts, price action. We teach you pivot points. We have three different strategies, strategies that we trade um, every single day. And so if you guys want to get in on that, you have to go to mastermytrades.com and that'll take you to the Liberty Trading Academy. It starts for as little as $47 a month to get in on the class and you get a seven day free trial. So until March 31st, so you now you won't, you have less than a week. You only have five days, including today to get in before March 31st for that seven day free trial. And after that, we are taking that free trial off. So you're no longer going to get your seven days free. So you want to get in on the free trial. It costs you absolutely nothing. And then after that, it's only as little as $47 a month. There's a couple tiers there. You can get some one-on-one -on -one coaching if you want to. It's up to you. How much wealth, how much of your wealth do you want to control? Uh, and if you want to learn how to control it, then go to mastermytrades.com, get in on that action. We've got a great class going. I mean, it's, it's been, really about, it's it's been really fantastic. About how, how much of your future do you want to control? Like yeah. that, that's, that's really how I, how I look at it. Like uh, you could have seen several signals that would have had you getting out of the stock market in January and February. Like there, there's, there's all kinds of signals that could have told you that this was coming. Uh, and you know, maybe just some plain, common sense there too. And you, you could have known that this massive collapse was going to be happening. And then just like Charlie said, I mean, uh, <laughs> we've had a 21% bounce off of the low for the Dow that I called on March 13th. Um, and I said that the Dow uh, could go down to 18.5 and that we would see a turnaround on that. On Monday, we saw it close at 18.5, and it's all the way back up to, uh, oh, what's the Dow actually sitting at today? Um, 22,200, something like that. That's where wow. it's sitting at right now. So pretty good little bounce off of that. And you don't have to trade the Dow. You don't need to go buy an $18,500 share of something. But there's all kinds of minis, ETFs, all kinds of stuff you can buy that would trade with that. So there's just... There's a lot of good things to learn. And the most important thing to learn is why did I pick that point? You know, why did I know that it was going to bounce off of that? How, how did I know that? That's so random. It's almost like you can predict the future with the stock market. Like I knew you have all the these Trump tarot cards and stuff. Yeah. That you're, you got yeah. this crystal ball. No, <laughs> I've, I've thought often that like, can you predict like future things that are going to be ha like, could I tell you that something good was going to happen today? Because it's at this price and I just don't think it's going to go lower. I think we're going to get a big bounce. So I feel like we're going to have a bit of good news today. 
You know, it's crazy. It basically, I can predict the future with the stock market. That's why you should buy the class. So anyway, do you want to do you want a quick covid watch before we get to this last article? <laughs> how, we, how we sitting? Well, we are now over half a million cases worldwide. Five hundred nineteen thousand. This just going up by the second tier. Twenty three thousand five hundred eighty six total deaths. What people don't talk about right here is this number I'm going to give you. We have one hundred twenty three thousand two hundred ninety six people that have recovered. It's pretty good. Pretty good That's recovery good. right there. Now, the United States sits just about 1,400 points off of Italy's total here. I'm sorry, 1,600 points. We are sitting at 78,000 total, uh, almost 79,000 total cases now, with up, up 10,000 cases today. We are up now to 1,141 deaths. Um, and our total cases per million population is sitting at 239. We have three deaths per million population right now. And let's just dive into these numbers real quick in the United States. Let's see who's got the most cases. Still New York. New York added almost 5,000 cases today. They're sitting at 37,000. And New Jersey added over 2,500 cases today. They're sitting at 6,800 cases. Um, and so most of your deaths and cases are sitting there right there in New Jersey. California, Michigan, and Washington rounding out the top five for the United States. Let's see where Tennessee sits here. We have 906 cases with three deaths. So Nashville, so far, not seeing too big of a toll here. We've got Louisiana, Florida, Washington, Michigan, California, New Jersey, and New York all sitting above 2,000 cases. I feel so, safe being in the healthcare capital of the world. Yeah. So uh, I do feel good about that. We have we pretty have good a, uh, choices when it a comes lot to healthcare of the, here. Uh, yeah. A lot of the major, the biggest healthcare companies are based here in Nashville. I would say that's about Nashville's number other than other than drinking that's about Nashville's biggest economy <laughs> I would say it's in the it's in the healthcare industry so we've got HCA CHS all kinds of places located here i mean you're talking uh, the well definitely the bulk of america's hospitals uh, are owned by companies that are based here in Nashville that's right and uh, we got a lot of hospitals around here too so um, we're, you know, I feel like we're sitting in a pretty safe area right here. We got plenty of medical devices here, so that's good. That is good. Yeah. All right. Take um, me to this last article. Uh, I do have a call coming up, so we got 13 minutes. That's right. I just want to go over this and I just, I can boil this down and ask you a nice libertarian ideology question, Charlie. All right. Because I understand, um, I'm not saying I disagree with this. Here's what I want to ask you. Does the government, as a libertarian, does the government have the right to quarantine people and make them make it mandatory that they cannot leave their houses or they cannot open their businesses? Does the government have the right to do that? That's what I would want to ask. It does say that there's going to be some Supreme Court cases looming from this entire shutdown because some people have not been happy about it. So it says fears for civil rights mount amid fight against coronavirus. First of all, the that's order. a good question. Great yeah. question. Because you don't know what to say, do you? Because you oh. understand the practicality of it and and how useful it is. But then, like, what is what is the right? You know, what do you think, babe? What do you think the right is? You don't know. Lacey doesn't know. Okay. Fears for civil rights mount amid fight against coronavirus. The orders seem prudent in the bid to thwart the spread of novel coronavirus. Don't go out, don't gather with others, and keep your stores closed. But growing segments of the U.S. population say, say state and federal governments are trampling on freedoms central to American life in the name of protecting public health. 
the case is already being made. A churchgoer in New Hampshire says prohibitions against large gatherings violate her religious rights. A Pennsylvania golf course owner argues that gubernatorial edicts shuttering his business amount to illegal seizure amount to illegal seizure of his private property. If civil libertarians aren't yet sounding alarms, many have their hands hovering over the button. It's over that so launch far, button. <laughs> yeah, so far. We have, we've had draconian methods like armed police blocking people's movement in the streets, surveillance, and phone tapping, said Larry Ghostin, a public health lawyer at Georgetown University. But we are seeing lockdowns of—oh, it says we haven't had that. But we are seeing lockdowns of millions of citizens like we have never seen before. He added, we are on the precipice of something that could transform America's values and freedoms. Questions about the extent of government of governmental power to impose restrictions haven't been fully resolved since New York cook Mary Mallon— a typhoid typhoid carrier carrier. Good lord, typhoid carrier carrier. You want me to defied, read this? You might want to read it. I don't. <laughs> I can't read that word. Typhoid carrier defied public health department orders to isolate. Malin, better known as Typhoid Mary, lost her legal battle for freedom and ended up effectively imprisoned for 28 years on an island cottage, dying there. And now oh, this is in 1938. Wow. So this is a case going back that that far. So. Responses are no longer as severe, but thousands of Americans are already confined to their homes under threat of fines and even jail. Businesses are losing thousands of dollars. Workers are laid off. Uh, one man infected with the coronavirus in Kentucky recently left a hospital and refused to quarantine. An armed county deputy was posted outside his home to ensure the 53-year-old stayed put. So it's, I mean, you get what I'm saying here. And on this one, like, I don't know what, I don't know what to say to it because I'm not an I'm not an anarchist, and uh, if you were to listen to Milton Friedman, even Milton Friedman said when he went through his list of government departments that he would abolish. When it got down to the CDC, when it got down to that, the health and he human said, services, yeah, health and human services. Sorry, when it got down to that, he said he would keep it, and he said that the there is room if you're going to have a government, there is room for the government to have protections for citizens against infectious diseases. So you could say, like, is this part of defense, pretty much? And um, and what do they have to do to actually defend when the, uh, the threat are other people who could be carrying the virus? Like, it's a weird question that we've never really had to talk about before. And so I don't exactly have the the amazing answer uh, just laid out for you right now. What I want is for people to send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us, and let me know what your arguments would be on this because I'll give you I mine it, real quick. I see it both ways. Um, and if if we're going to have a government that can have defense and they should have something to do with infectious diseases, there's all kinds of arguments to me to be made everywhere. I just don't think I could argue that a government officer could be posted outside your house and keep you from leaving your house. I, I don't know. I agree. I, with, I agree with that. Here's my argument. I ta I alluded to this at the beginning of the show, by the way, with rights come great responsibility, because here's the thing, your rights as a sovereign individual, they end where another's begin. So you can only take your rights so far in as you cannot violate someone else's rights in practicing your rights. So while I agree, I will say civil liberties wise, you cannot mandate from the government 
to do to have these shutdowns and these types of things. Um, you can have them suggest it and give you the consequences if you don't follow suit. However, uh, the person that is infected, like this guy in Kentucky, who does not stay put, if he ends up infecting someone and it can be improved, uh, uh, it, it can be proved that he did that, then he would be responsible for the people that he infected. And if they ended up dying, he could be responsible for murder. To me, that's, that's where it goes so much further on this. Like, you know, the guy, I mean, he's just got a, a leaching virus attached to him really who should be prosecuted would be the coronavirus itself. Um, that, that would be, that would be the perpetrator of the crime. Like if you Um, like, okay, say you have AIDS though, if you have AIDS with somebody and you have sex with them without telling them and you give them AIDS and they end up dying, you're responsible for that. But this is, so here's the difference here. Let me just do the devil's advocate. You don't just walk around with AIDS and if you breathe on someone, they get sick and die. Like that's, that's different. You don't get infected with AIDS because you shared the same restaurant space with someone. So it's, that's a little bit different. You can make the argument with a gun. Well, like, you know, you can have a gun in public and if uh, the gun scares you, then don't go to that public place uh, that allows guns to stay in your house. If you're too afraid to be around people with guns, uh, it's still a little bit different because the gun does not decide to transfer itself through the air onto the other people without the person's knowledge or consent of it. Uh, it's a decision that is made on that person's part. Uh, to fire the gun. So it's, there's, I just, I do think there's room for uh, just an interesting libertarian uh, theory discussion here because what I first wanted to say was, well, would you be violating someone else's rights when you do bring this harmful thing around them uh, in the public space that they also have the right to be in that public space? And so that's where the gun argument comes in. You're like, well, you could carry a gun as long as you don't shoot someone. I mean, that that's fine. But then again, you'd have to pull out the gun and shoot it for it to harm someone else. So that's not exactly a, a correct analogy. Um, you could say that person just has to be confined into their house. But then your right to uh, have your liberty is then potentially impeding their right to go somewhere uh, without the danger. Like I said, it's different from a gun because you make the decision to transfer the power of the gun to someone else. And you don't make that decision on an infectious disease that can be spread through the air. It's different with AIDS. Well, what if you, I mean, but what if you drop the gun and accidentally fires, are you responsible for who it hits? You dropped the gun. Uh, What if it fell? It's it's, you were holding the gun and you dropped it. So you coughed on somebody then. I mean, that's your fault. Right. I mean, the virus isn't really I mean, it lives outside your body to the extent it's on your <laughs> it's on your skin and stuff. Maybe yeah. if, if you haven't taken a shower um, or if you coughed in your hands, it's in your hands. But it's not really unless you're coughing out into the air. It's not it's just not floating in the air. You know, yeah. it, it can only live in the air. I think three hours is what they say. So you have to actually, you know, exhume it from your body and then. And then it has, it's for three hours that it can live in the air. So yeah. it's your fault if you cough on somebody. I, it's like to me, all I can imagine is if you went around public, say you had a uh, say you had a Claymore mine and it had a it had a point one percent chance of going off if someone touched it. Uh, and then you just went outside and 
everywhere you touched, you dropped a Claymore mine that had a 1% chance of hurting someone if they touched it. Um, are you in the act? I mean, you can't stop yourself from transferring it to all of those places or into the air. That's just a product of you going outside. And maybe not everyone that touches it is going to be harmed, but they, but they could be. Like, is the act of going outside and potentially uh, harming people itself I don't know. All I'm saying, I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm trying to argue the other side right now because I don't know what to do here. So I want people to send us an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. Tell me what you would do if you were running the place during this whole this whole fiasco that's going on right now. You're wrong. So You're, you're wrong. wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> nate, you're so, wrong. I'm, I'm that's not, a bad so, news I'm, story. <laughs> it's fake news. You're wrong. Uh, I'm not saying that I would do it. I'm saying I can't decide what the philosophical argument would say because I can't, I can't produce a proper analogy for it right now to compare it to. Um, I, I just can't because you going out into public is acting because you are infectious in some kind of way, potentially is acting towards people that are also sharing that public space in itself. I, I, don't I think know. you're violating the nap when you do that. <laughs> if you are known to be infected and you leave your home. And so that's the thing. We don't want people to violate the nap. So do you do the thing to stop them from violating the nap? Well, the non-aggression principle. Yeah, but it's on that person. And if they do something to violate the nap, then it's on them. But when they leave, have they violated the nap? By leaving itself? By leaving and going around no. other people in public, have they violated the nap? If they end up infecting somebody, yes. If they don't end up infecting somebody, then no. So but it's on them to take that risk. And you, if you go out in public and you just fire a gun randomly around, <laughs> but it never hits anyone, then you haven't violated the nap. I, I don't know. That's a great question. That's <laughs> a really saying. good. What does Maurice I, say I about all this? Do. I do agree. Like I would like. As a president or as a government leader, I would not See, make a mandate. I, I would not be able to do it. Right. All I'm saying is I can't, I I can't fully come up with an argument that says it's it's in it's entirely out of bounds. Even Maurice and, here know, says suggestions are better hey, than mandates. Maurice was ahead of the I'm curve man. when he was in high school, dude. I mean, I was, <laughs> you know, I was a, a Republican socialist at that time. So. <laughs> I forgot no. one thing here uh, from CNN. U.S. stocks surged despite the worst jobless claims data in history. I forgot that the unemployment numbers came out today. We forgot to yes, look at 3. that. Yes, 3.3 million jobless claims. And the, wow. the reason that it, it surged anyway was that that number was already cooked in. It was cooked into the books. It was baked in. That's what they call it. Like the, the market's been falling because people were anticipating that number. So the, the number coming out, it could have been, it, it could have been higher or lower than what they thought it was going to be. But that number has already been accounted for. Like, it's not a surprise. The market already knew. Yeah, they already knew. That number was baked into the previous prices already. So, well, not, I, a, not a big deal. I got to go and right. join this call. So, I wanted yep. to tell everyone, again, go to mastermytrades.com. Get in on the Liberty Trading Academy and all of the education we have to offer you to learn from the very basics of the market to how to take your first trade. All the strategies, it's all in there, mastermytrades.com. And then, if you guys want to see us live... Um, then you can do that by going to patreon.com slash good morning Liberty and leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. You can do all that. Nate sign us off here with a good thing. I'm going to go join this call. Good to see you guys. All right, guys, you have to do 
all of those things that Charlie just said. You got to leave us a rating review. You got to subscribe to the podcast. You got to check out mastermytrades.com and look us up on patreon.com slash Liberty. That is how we change the tides that we're all trying to fight through right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can even get the LP chair to go along with some normal basic economics at some point in time, not emotionomics. And so if you like all of that, then you have got to subscribe to this podcast and you got to tell a friend. Okay. All right, guys. So if you do all of those things, we will be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, you have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town.